History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 126th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we have a location that was suggested to us by listener Whitney Land, and she also did a lot of the research on it. That is the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. Another place with some very interesting haunting stories and history, Denise. Before we get into that, we do want people to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if people want to send us feedback, Denise, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We do want to send out a congratulations to our fellow podcast brother, Patrick Keller, over at the Big Sands Podcast. Woohoo, Patrick! Way to go! (laughs) He made it into the finals of the podcast awards, so we encourage our listeners to start voting for him on May 29th, 2016 in the science and medicine. Medical, yeah. Yeah, I think it's the science science and and medicine category. So congratulations to you, Patrick. We didn't make it in the society and culture. We just want to thank all of our listeners who did vote for us for doing that. We greatly appreciate it. And we got some messages from you guys. And this is from Andy on our website. Hello, ladies. I found you in February of this year. You have made my work days so enjoyable. I'm a merchandise planner, so I sit and run queries at work and spreadsheets all day. You ladies keep me from analysis paralysis. Seriously, I'm actually able to be more focused on what I'm doing while listening to these great stories. You two crack me up with your banter and your love for what you do comes across in every episode. Thank you so much for bringing your show to the world. I share it with everyone. And thank you very much, Andy, not only for the comment, but for sharing our show. Cindy Fellows, let us know on the fan page. Okay, I'm addicted to History Ghost Bump. We have said there's a group for that, Denise. No, I think we're keeping groups from ever forming of that. (laughs) Lots of fun, interesting, and creepy history. Love the two hosts who have a fun banter with each other and they make you laugh. Thanks, Denise and Diane, for a great podcast. I started with your first podcast and I'm all the way up to 106. I told her she better slow down or she's going to run out here pretty quick. And we also heard from Stacey Dran in Australia, listening to you two from Melbourne, Australia. Love your show, entertaining, and just fun to listen to. Andersonville Prison was moving and well-researched. Well, thank you for that, Stacey. We appreciate that. We also got an email from Shane Bergeron. Big fan of your show, and I'm an avid fan and student of all sciences, especially chemistry and astronomy. I love the mysterious paranormal world, and although a man of science, I've come to the conclusion that there's no reason to be so skeptical when it comes to believing people's stories about their experiences with ghosts and or the paranormal. Simply put, there's no way in my belief that everyone, including people who aren't looking for any special attention or a little fame maybe, could be just making these stories up. To me, they have strength in numbers. I know that not every story is true and I myself have never experienced anything, nor do I want to, but I give them the benefit of the doubt. Of course, this is only me, but I try to give a lot of thought before making my opinion. And why not? Scientists and physicists are baffled about the strange laws of the universe, which do not always follow the mathematical formulas known to man. 
They admit knowing only very little about the universe. Same with the paranormal. My wife, who's blind, introduced me to your show. Hello, Janelyn. Hey, Janelyn. How are you? Uh, who's been a big fan of the show for a long time. I also love history, so your show is perfect for me. The way you both go back and forth, taking turns with each story so nice, you both have such soothing voices. Love the show about New Orleans, as my wife and I live in the surrounding suburbs of the Crescent City. Keep up the good work. Well, Shane, we hope to see you in 2017, because we will be visiting the Crescent City. Yes, we will. And I cannot wait to have more of that good, good food. And we heard from Jerry Walter. He sent us an email on Mormon beliefs when it comes to ghosts and such. And he said, I just listened to your podcast where you read letters from ex-Mormons trying to explain what Mormons believe. Inactive and ex-Mormons are probably not your best source for information on what Mormons believe. What I heard, I could hardly be described as our beliefs. Your best source would be mormon.org. We have a basic framework of tenets called the Articles of Faith that will give you an overview of what Mormons believe. Understanding of the paranormal varies from member to member. There's room in our religion for paranormal understanding and exorcisms. I could not even be begin to touch anything about it in an email, but as I like to ask people, so what's not paranormal about the gospel? The correct answer is everything about the gospel is paranormal. And that's what we say, Denise, the Bible's the most paranormal book out there. To be perfectly honest, when we asked for Mormons to send us more information when it came to their beliefs, when it came to ghosts and such, all we got were those two emails from ex-members. So (laughs) that's what we went with. And the stuff that I actually read on the show, I got from a Mormon site. So if that was not accurate... We made sure to say that this is not necessarily what everybody believes, but this is what some of the teachings out there are. But thank you for sending that to us, Jerry. We also want to give a shout out to Anne and Emily Ridner. They're on an Alaskan cruise and they took a ghost tour. And of all places, Denise, Skagway, Alaska. Ooh, I love Skagway. And I was so bummed to find out that they had one because we visited Skagway. (laughs) And of course, we didn't get to do a ghost tour there. I believe it was Emily posted pictures of the Red Onion Saloon, which was a brothel back then. And it gave you a real feeling of what the cribs and what the rooms like the hallway was so narrow. Just what a stifling kind of life that must have Mm -hmm. been. And Emily also let us know that the women, after they finished with a client, she would deposit her earnings into a hole, which was connected by a copper pipe to a safety deposit box behind the bar. When the bartender heard the clinking of gold in the pipes, he'd check which girl's box it was headed to and would know who was available for the next client. Highly efficient, but as Emily put it, highly disturbing in her mind. Oh, I'm not only highly disturbing, but just the thought of how those poor girls were treated and in the lives that they lived just breaks my heart. We inspired our listener Lilith to take a ghost tour, Denise. So she's going to do that. I believe she's going to try one in Houston and also in Virginia. Oh, very good. Nicole, who is our friend over in Lakeland, we did a little talk for her. And she had listened to our most recent Haunted True Crime bonus cast, Denise, which featured a murder in Savannah and a particular ghost there. And she said, hey, I'm so glad you guys did this story. And remember how I'd seen that one? And it clicked in. I remembered her telling us the story about Alice Riley when we were down there and how she had seen her in a hotel room. I know that was just so uncanny because I didn't put two and two together until she she went. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, you told us. So a personal somebody we've met also experienced that ghost. So it's just crazy. And it wasn't in one of the squares. It was actually in her hotel room that she saw her. So we were like, whoa. Want to give a shout out to David Whiting over at ghostaddict.com. He's got our podcast up on his website, Denise. So I thought that was very cool. Yes, thank you. So thanks for doing that, David. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Johnny. Hey, Johnny. April. Hi, April. Colin. Hey, Colin. And Courtney with a K. And Courtney with a K. Denise, are you ready to go have a little bit of a stay down there in Texas? Absolutely. Here we go.
Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. The Moment in Oddity today is suggested by listener Anna Prado-Frias. There is a bizarre and mysterious thing happening at the John Lawson House. The house is located near the New Hamburg train station in New York. Pass by the porch and you'll do a double take. Those people sitting on the porch seem inhumanly still. Indeed, they are not real. They are mannequins. But these mannequins are not like your run-of-the-mill store mannequins because these mannequins are only still when you are looking. Otherwise, they seem to be quite capable of moving. At night, the mannequins change clothes and positions. No living person has been seen at the house. So how are the mannequins being moved? Could they be moving on their own, or is there something else going on here? Perhaps something paranormal. The John Lawson house was built in 1845. A massive fire destroyed nearly every other house in the area. In the winter of 1871, a train crashed about 200 feet from the house. 22 passengers were killed on impact. Could these incidents have led to this mystery beginning? The mannequins are observed many times pointing in the direction of the train crash. Many times, the mannequins are holding strange objects like bird cages. They also hold brushes and books, and they disappear from the front porch in rain. Curtains are drawn in the windows, so no one can see inside the abandoned house, but occasionally a sliver of light is seen. A vegetable garden is maintained in the back. Is someone moving the dolls when no one sees? Are they enchanted somehow? Whatever the truth may be, the John Lawson house is not only creepy, but it certainly is odd. out the lights. The party's just getting started. This Day in History. This Day in History is by April Rogers Crick and her son Cortland. On this day, May 24th in 1964, a referee's call in an Olympic qualifying soccer match between Peru and Argentina erupted into a riot. More than 300 fans were killed and another 500 people were injured in the violent melee that followed at National Stadium in Lima, Peru. With only six minutes left in an Olympic qualifying game, Argentina led Peru 1-0. Peruvians were fiercely cheering on their team in hopes of a win to take them to the finals in Tokyo. The Uruguayan referee disallowed what would have been a tying goal scored by Peru. National Stadium was filled with 40,000 fans when the call was made, causing fans to erupt in anger, and a riot ensued. The angry mob started breaking down barriers and swarmed the field, causing the players and officials to abandon the game. In an effort to stop the rioting, police threw tear gas and released dogs into the crowd. Hundreds of spectators were crushed and trampled as the crowd charged towards the exits to escape. Children and women were thrown to the ground, but the uncontrolled mob pushed on. 
Some fans broke down a section of the wire barrier surrounding the pitch and set fire to benches and terraces. A wall was kicked down in an attempt to invade the field and get at the referee. The pitch was littered with stones, bottles, and cushions. A group of people set fire to buses and cars but scattered when police rode in on horseback. Soon reinforcements arrived for the outnumbered police and a large number of arrests were made. For three hours, youths rioted and set fire to houses and businesses. 21 prisoners managed to escape from the Lima prison. Thousands of people swarmed hospital entrances looking to see if their loved ones were among the dead or injured. The extent of a disaster like this at a soccer match has only been surpassed once, and that was at a game in Moscow in 1982. History Goes Bump Podcast. The Driscoll Hotel was built in Austin, Texas, and it's no surprise that this location was chosen as it is the terminus of the southernmost route of the Chisholm Trail. The hotel was built in the late 1800s and serves guests to this day. It emanates a timeless charm, and the hotel claims that every room tells a story. There are stories here for more than just the living, though. Some consider this to be the most active paranormal location in Austin. There is a legend of suicidal brides, and there are spirits of others who have died there. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Driscoll Hotel. Austin is the capital of Texas. The earliest residents were believed to be the Clavis culture who lived here during the Ice Age. The Tonkawa tribe were here before the first immigrants arrived from Sweden, Germany, and Mexico. The original settlement was named Waterloo. Texas fought for its independence from Mexico in 1835 and 1836 and became its own country after winning. In 1839, the government of Texas decided to find a place to establish its capital, and Waterloo was chosen. The name was changed to Austin at that time. A 14-block grid plan was platted out, and a one-story capital was built. Disputes with the nearby Native American tribes ended, and growth began to expand the town. Jesse Lincoln Driscoll was born in 1824 in Tennessee. The family was Irish and descended from the O'Driscolls. Jesse moved to Missouri when he was 23, and he met and married his wife Nancy there. They relocated to Bastrop, Texas, and got into the merchandising business. That lasted for a short time, and the Civil War began, spurring him to enter the cattle business in 1857. He provided the Confederate Army with meat throughout the Civil War, almost going broke after being paid for his product in Confederate dollars. But Driscoll built back up his herds and became a well-known cattle baron. This helped him to purchase land. He purchased an entire city block that was a corner plot of land located at Brazos and Pecan, modern-day 6th Street, in Austin for $7,500. This would be the site for his Hotel of Dreams. What's interesting about this story that he lost all of his money because it was in Confederate dollars. My folks were watching a Mysteries of the Museum show, and I think it was about where Tabasco came from. And the guy who had started Tabasco had started with a different product, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was salt he'd found on his land, and so he was selling salt to the Confederacy, but he got all the money in Confederate dollars. So when the war ended, he was a rich man until Confederate dollars were worthless, and then he lost everything. And that's when he went about finding out and creating Tabasco, and then he became rich again. But 
Yeah, not a good idea to invest in a new country that's not going to happen. Until it actually happens. <laughs> the four-story Romanesque style hotel built by Jesse Lincoln Driscoll in 1886 was designed to be the finest hotel south of St. Louis. Half a block in size, its design features three arched entryways and carved limestone busts of Driscoll and his two sons, Bud and Tobe. Six million bricks went into the building facade, plus additional limestone accents. The main hotel has 60 rooms with 12 corner rooms that each have their own attached bath, which was almost unheard of back in hotels of that time and in that region. The lobby of the hotel was designed in grand southern style with mounted taxidermy adorning the walls as well as carpet that bears the emblems of different cattle brands, which makes sense since he was a cattle baron. Driscoll hired the finest builders of the time, accruing a cost of $400,000. Oh my goodness, seeing how he only invested 7500 to begin with. Yeah, it's another one of those projects that the price just keeps going up and up and up, kind of like what happens nowadays. They tell you one price, contractors come in and say, this is what it's going to cost. Usually you want to triple that and then you'll know what the actual price is going to be. After completion, a room was available for between $2.50 and $5 a night, which was rather steep in comparison to other hotels of the time. The Austin of this era was still very much a frontier town. Native Americans were still living in the area and mostly everything to the west was wild country. The inhabitants of the city of Austin included cattle drivers, cowboys, outlaws, and all kinds of miscreants. This might help listeners to understand why the hotel was built with a completely separate entrance for women, enabling them to avoid the rough and tumble cattlemen who notoriously occupied the main lobby. Driscoll's success was not long-lasting, however. In 1887, barely a year after opening, the hotel was forced to close after half of the staff was poached by the Galveston Beach Hotel. In 1888, adding insult to injury, a late spring freeze on the northern plains killed off most of Driscoll's remaining cattle. It devastated his finances and his family lost their fortune. 3,000 head of cattle perished and he could no longer afford to keep up his payments. Legend has it the hotel was gambled away in an 1888 game of poker with his brother-in-law, Jim Day, who became the hotel's second owner. Jesse Driscoll never recovered from this devastating loss and he died of a stroke only two years later. The hotel changed hands many times over the years, going through drastic improvements and still always being sold at a loss. In the 1930s, the hotel underwent renovations that led to the construction of an additional 13-story tower that still exists and is in use today. In 1950, air conditioning was added and the grand skylit rotunda that had provided ventilation previously was removed. It wasn't long, however, before the hotel faced one of its biggest problems yet, demolition. In 1969, it almost faced the wrecking ball after a planned renovation fell through. Last minute, a nonprofit group raised the needed $900,000 to save the hotel and had it designated as a historical landmark. The hotel reopened in 1972 and has been successful ever since. In 2013, the hotel was purchased by Hyatt Hotels and they continued to operate it under the name Driscoll. It is a grand and beautiful hotel that includes elaborate bridal suites, vast ballrooms, and two restaurants. It was used in the movie Miss Congeniality, being represented as the St. Regis in Manhattan. The Driscoll has had its share of important visitors over the years. These visitors include Amelia Earhart. We found her, Denise. At the Driscoll? Yeah. Louis Armstrong, Michael Jordan, Paul Simon, Sandra Bullock, and the Dixie Chicks. President Johnson and his wife, Lady Bird, had a lifelong love affair with the hotel and went on their first date in the cafe downstairs. 
LBJ made the Driscoll his election headquarters and awaited the results of his presidential election in the Jim Hogg suite. While famous guests are interesting, one of the more fascinating pieces of history is the fact that two attempted murders occurred at the Driscoll. In 1903, there was an attempted assassination of ex-governor James Stephen Hogg in the rotunda of the hotel. It was a poor attempt by a drunken assailant who was a well-known railroad attorney. He was angry at having been called a lobbyist. He was apparently disarmed and sent back to his room at the hotel where he was staying. Can you believe you can try to kill somebody and they say, just go back to your room. (laughs) Sleep it off. (laughs) The second attempt came a few years later in 1908. Two lawyers had angered each other the previous day in court, and after knocking back a few drinks at the hotel bar, they drew their guns and shot at each other in the lobby. They both managed to hit each other, but they survived. Hotel guests are said to have hid behind the large columns in this area of the hotel during the shootout. Arguably, one of the most beautiful rooms of the hotel, the Maximilian Room, was originally the men's smoking lounge. In the 1930s, eight beautiful mirrors were purchased from an antique shop in San Antonio. These mirrors were originally intended as a gift for the Empress Carlota from her husband, then Emperor of Mexico, Maximilian I. His Mexican empire was short-lived, however, and many governments refused to recognize him, including the United States, considering his rule of Mexico to be a puppet regime of France. French armies withdrew from Mexico in 1866, and Max's empire collapsed. He was captured in 1887 and executed by Benito Juarez, the president of the Republic of Mexico. His wife fled and their home and belongings were looted. Carlota apparently loved her husband deeply, and after he was executed, her mental state rapidly declined. She lived the rest of her life in seclusion in what is now Italy and then Belgium. She loved her late husband until her death, all this time reportedly treasuring every item that her and Maximilian had shared together. Reports of her insanity vary and are hard to verify. But it is said that as she aged, her illness receded. Carlota was struck down by an influenza-induced bout of pneumonia at the age of 86 in 1927. It would be only three years until the Driscoll would acquire the mirrors that were intended to be a gift to Carlota from her beloved husband. Eight gold-leaf, sterling, and crushed diamond mirrors that now hang in the Grand Maximilian Ballroom, each one bearing the bust of a young, beautiful Carlota. I bet those are something to see. I bet you they are. And this is where our ghost stories begin. There are tales of Carlotta's ghost haunting the Maximilian room, which makes sense since there's all these mirrors in that room. Denise, we know mirrors and spirits seem to go hand in hand with each other. I know it's uncanny, but they do seem to be connected. A wedding photographer setting up his equipment one day thought a bride had entered the room prematurely. Wondering why she was wearing a period costume instead of traditional bridal wear, he turned again to speak with her, but she was gone. It was then that he couldn't help but notice the young lady's resemblance to the busts that adorn each mirror. The spirit of the Colonel, which was a nickname bestowed upon Driscoll by the Confederates during the war, supposedly still haunts his hotel. He leaves behind the smell of lingering cigar smoke in guest rooms. He's appeared to a few guests as a full-bodied apparition as well. He apparently prefers to show himself to females. He even has a song attributed to him. In 1992... Concrete Blonde released their album Walking in London, which included a song called Ghost of a Texas Ladies Man. This song is a musical homage to Colonel Driscoll. The band's lead singer, Johnette Napolitano, recounted in an interview with the Houston Press that she told her band the hotel was haunted because someone kept turning the lights in her room on and off when she stayed there. Incidentally, the drummer for Sting was hanging out with the drummer from Concrete Blonde in the hotel bar and said that he heard a woman tell the exact same story the night before. 
except this woman said the ghost had grabbed her. Napolitano is not the only musician to have experiences of a supernatural nature at the Driscoll. Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics tells a story about staying at the Driscoll while on tour. Having laid out two different dresses on the bed, unable to decide which to wear that night, she took a shower. Upon getting out, she discovered only one dress on the bed and the other now packed away. She took this as a sign and wore the dress left out on the bed. And one has to wonder who made that choice for her. One of the most prevalent yet hard to verify stories is about Room 525 and its double suicide brides. The brides took their lives both in the same room, yet 20 years apart, Denise. This is kind of like that story that people told us about Waverly Sanitarium, that there was two nurses had died in the same room and committed suicide in the same room. The first story goes that following her groom calling off the wedding, a Houston bride drove his car to Austin and rented a room at the Driscoll. She then went on a shopping spree with his credit card. Guests reported seeing a woman overloaded with shopping bags exiting the elevator on her floor. That was the last time she was seen alive. A few days later, a hotel maid, noting that the woman had not left or been seen in several days, went into room 525. Upon entering the bathroom, she found the bride dead in the tub, apparently of a self-inflicted gunshot wound that she muffled with a pillow. Adding credibility to the story are the hotel's 18-inch thick walls, which Driscoll built for privacy as well as fire prevention. So no wonder nobody heard her shoot herself. You wonder why she bought all the stuff unless she was just trying to bankrupt them. I would have bought all the stuff and split. Yeah, I think I would have done the same thing, but I guess it was one last little screw you. Her ghost has been seen by guests at the hotel when that area was under renovation. Two women saw a female guest overloaded with shopping bags making her way to the room on the floor with a heavy construction going on. One of the women asked her, doesn't all that noise bother you? To which she replied, no, it doesn't. Upon checking out, she asked the front desk why someone would be staying in a part of the hotel undergoing renovations. He assured her that no one would be staying there. Insistent that she saw someone enter a room and now becoming alarmed, the desk clerk took her to the room to investigate. Upon opening the door, there was no furniture and everything was covered in plastic. The second suicide bride is from an earlier time. This is the best we could do as the hotel does not give specific dates for either of the infamous jilted brides. She was staying at the Driscoll in preparation of her wedding. Her husband-to-be called everything off the night before they were supposed to be married, and she hung herself in room 525. Whitney also found that room 427 is mentioned in some resources, so it may not necessarily be that these two women were in the same room of this hotel, and we're going to mention a little bit later that there was another suicide that was on the fourth floor. So I don't know if that's a separate one, or if they didn't say that the person who, the woman who killed herself on the fourth floor was one of these brides. So I don't know, we might have some mixing up going there, as seems to happen when we're doing some of the research on some of this stuff that's not well documented. Well, and you have people who want it to be more like add to their story, so they might actually mix some things that shouldn't be mixed. Exactly. This room of the hotel was sealed off for many years due to quote unquote renovations, but is now available again to stay in. The brides are believed to have taken their lives in the bathroom, and this is where most people claim to have experiences. Room 525 is rumored to be the most haunted area of the hotel. One of the most famous ghost tales claims to be that in 1887, a senator's four-year-old daughter named Samantha was playing with a ball on the main staircase, and she fell to her death on the marble floor below. Guests report hearing a child's laughter and what sounds like a ball bouncing near the staircase. There is a painting of a pretty young girl in the hotel that is linked to this tale. It is said that it was commissioned and hung after she died, 
But this painting is a modern-day replica of another painting called The Love Letters by British artist Charles Trevor Garland. Replicas of it can be found on many items, including mouse pads. People claim that staring at the portrait makes them nauseous, and some claim that they feel as though they are being lifted upward. That's really weird. But again, here we go with some legend behind this painting, which may not have anything to support it. And Whitney could find a senator who some people say that the little girl's name is Samantha Houston. And there is a senator who served during that time with the last name Houston. But there's nowhere a record that he lost a daughter named Samantha. So is it just a legend? Possibly. Another suicide is reported to have happened at the hotel on the fourth floor. It was apparently a woman, but no one knows which room or why she killed herself. And this is the one that I mentioned might be getting mixed up with one of these brides. Guests report hearing a woman whispering on the fourth floor when there's no one around. Hotel staff claim that they hear the disembodied cries of a woman on that floor. The spirit of a female is glimpsed out of the corner of the eye by many people. The Driscoll Hotel has stood here for well over a century And despite many times when it could have been lost to the wrecking ball, it has survived as a Texas landmark. Its legends have survived as well. Does the man who built the hotel of his dreams still stay here in the afterlife? Are the ghosts of jilted brides here? Is the Driscoll Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. I've seen pictures of it. It looks very interesting. We're glad that you guys could join us for this episode. Our next one is going to feature a suggestion by our listener, John Mueller, and that is the Ben Lomond Hotel. Another hotel. Another hotel. Boy, these places are just full of ghosts, not just guests. (laughs) That's why we camp. (laughs) We got these following reviews from iTunes that we want to share with you guys. Our first review here is four stars from Rick M. Good podcast. I like the podcast. I'll disagree with their assessment of the LDS church, but I think it's due to bad information. And to be fair, I've never seen a ghost. Well, thank you for your review and for liking the podcast, Rick. And I'm not quite sure what you mean by our assessment of the LDS church. I don't think we made an assessment of them. We, uh, as I said earlier, we shared what we found on a Mormon website and also from a couple of people who are inactive members of the church. So, but I don't know that we made an assessment and we definitely specifically said that we're not saying that this is what all Mormons believe, just like we wouldn't say that about any religion. And then we got a five-star review from Rebecca Jane, 1981. Bump. I love listening to this podcast. Diane and Denise really helped me get through the day. Thanks, ladies. Well, you're welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for tuning in. And we got five stars from Charles, 72958, History Goes Bump Podcast. Hi, I'm Charles, an OTR truck driver in the U.S., another one of our truck drivers. Love your podcast, very well given and factual. Love the subjects you've touched on, but I guess Arkansas doesn't have many ghost stories except Bigfoot in the 60s and 70s. Still, I'm going through all back episodes. They keep me busy on long drives. Keep up the good work. Love you guys. Well, thank you, Charles, for listening to us while you drive. And obviously, you are a brand new listener and haven't made it through all the archives. Otherwise, you'd know there are ghost stories in Arkansas. One of the first places we featured was the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Which is the one that most people that we know have been like, have you done that one? Have you looked at that one? So it's a very popular location. I know. My aunt and uncle, when we told them we did a haunted history podcast, they said, oh, we stayed in a haunted hotel. It was this one in Eureka Springs called the Crescent. Have you heard of it? We're like, yes, we have. (laughs) You want to hear something really bizarre? about this though, Denise? Yes. Charles posted this on May 19th. I go into the Spooktacular crew and I see that April 
one of our researchers has posted a picture announcing this day in history, which would have been May 20th, the Crescent Hotel opened. That's a little bit of that synchronicity out there. Yes, it is. That he would happen to post the day before its opening many years ago. Oh, you haven't covered anywhere in Arkansas. (laughs) And then April posts that. I mean, I just was like, whoa, that's weird. Thank you for those reviews. We're so glad that you were here with us for this show. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Ron Vernon, Jen Belkus, and April Barber. Thank you. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle and Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.